the thief on the cross. We're going to think about those two things. The state of the soul going from, here it is, the first one, corruption to perfection. Upon death, the soul goes, number one, from corruption to perfection. That's the state. And number two, from cursed land to the glory land. That's the place. All right? So let's think about this. And let's think about it from the perspective and the story of the thief on the cross. From corruption to perfection, the first benefit upon death for a believer. Now think about the life of this thief. I mean, we call him a thief. That's what we know him by. He's lived a life of corruption, right? And the corruption of sin has brought him under condemnation, He's on a cross. He's on a Roman cross because of his sin, because of his disobedience. Now, from our perspective, we look at the thief on the cross, both of them actually, we see, we can, we can assume some things. And this might seem harsh, but you'll see where we're going. We can assume a few things about the, the life of the thief on the cross. He had a lack of love towards God. Now, why would we know that? It's because he was a thief. He disobeyed God. He lived a life of disobedience. right? He did not love the Lord and care for his law, his rule, his word. He also had a love for his or had a lack of love towards his neighbor. How can we know that? Again, he was a thief, right? You can't love your neighbor and steal their stuff. And you think about that corruption, that sort of lifestyle, and you think of selfishness, greed, idolatry. All symptoms present here that points back to the condition of the man upon the cross, the thief on the cross. And it also shows us why he's where he is today. Look at verse 41. We indeed justly for we are receiving the due reward for our disease, d- d- deeds. That's the, the dying thief conversing with the mocking thief. Now, there's two thieves in this story. One, we assume, on each side of Jesus. But I want you to think of these thieves as a picture of mankind. An image Sort of a story for the history of mankind. Both of them, the mocking thief in the beginning and, and the, the well, I'll, we'll end up calling not only the dying thief but the believing thief. These two thieves are a picture of mankind, both dealing with the same corruption. Both of them had the same problem and they were sinners. Both headed towards a just condemnation. But not I'm not I, but I don't want to just say it in the sense of oh they were thieves and they got caught and they were hung on a cross. They were about to die. Why? Because they were sinners, not because they were thieves. They were being crucified because they were thieves. They were about to breathe their last breath because they were sinners. Because what did God tell Adam? If you eat of the tree, you will surely die. Right? 
The condition of all mankind can be seen in these two thieves. Not only their condition, but the coming judgment. Yes, even Christians will be judged for their sin by simply dying. Your breathing your last breath is condemnation for your sinful life. And this is a picture seen in these two thieves. And it is an image of mankind. Just as these thieves, you and I, our parents, the parents before, all receiving and inheriting from our first parents, Adam and Eve, a nature of sin. But guess what? Not only did we receive a nature of sinfulness from Adam and Eve, but we were like, hey, I kind of like it. I'm going to choose to continue down the path of my first parents, Adam and Eve. Just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, so death spread to all men. Why? Because all men sinned. Romans 5. Death is coming, and apart from the return of Christ, I want here, this, this is something we all know. I want you to think about it. Death is coming. It is. Unless Jesus returns, death will be knocking at the door. He will come to the feet of each and every one of us because we too have eaten of the forbidden fruit. These thieves on the cross did not love God, so that means what? They hated God. Guess what? We have too. These thieves did not love their neighbor, so what did they actually do? They hated their neighbor, and guess what? We have too. And we too have lived selfish, greedy, idolatrous lives. These men represent mankind. But while both thieves are sinners and lived a sinful lifestyle and are both approaching death justly, or justifiably, there appears to be a major difference between the two, right? Obviously. Again, giving us a picture of mankind. What's the difference? It's belief. One believed and the other didn't. Here we see these two thieves that are uh, that are on two different paths of life at this very final moment. They began on the same path, but then at this very moment in Luke 23, as they hung upon a cross uh, beside Jesus, their lives split. One believed God and the other didn't. Now notice what I didn't say, that one believed in God. Now, we do believe in God, but what I want the point I want you to make is that the thief on the cross, the dying thief, believed God. Believed what he had said. Believed what he had done. I've had a lot of conversations with people that say, I believe in God. But when the examination has taken place, we see a lack of fruit. But do you believe what God has said? Do you believe what God has done? What's James say? You believe in God that God is one? That's wonderful. That you, you do well, but so do the demons. The demons believe and shudder. The difference is that you believe him. When he says, I am, you say, You are. When he says, let there be light, and, God, and, and light came, you say, thank you, 
Yes, hallelujah. When he says you are a sinner in need of savior, a savior, you fall on your face and say, you are so right. I believe you. When he says, if you do, or when he, if he says, unless you believe my son and believe his words, you will die in your sin. And you will die after that again and again. And the question is, is do you believe him? Do you believe his words? There are two thieves who hung beside Jesus, one on each side, one believed and one didn't. There are two types of people in this world, ones who believe and ones who don't. There's no gray area. There's no ride in the fence. You believe what God has said or you don't. But the crazy thing about that, that the fact that these two men chose a different, the the, the dying thief chose to believe that he saw Jesus as the Son of God. He didn't know everything. But the crazy thing about it is, is he still died. There was nothing that was going to save him from death. This is what I want us to think about this morning. There is nothing that will save you from death. I'm not going to keep saying, apart from the Lord's return. We understand that. I want you to know that you are staring at the face of death. And your faith in Christ will not keep you from dying. The thief believed and died. We all will go back to the dust. We will all find a place in the grave. The question is, does the, does the grave become a holding cell or a nice bed for a long rest? So that's the difference between the two thieves. One was going to be put into the grave to be held until judgment day, to be removed and then cast into the lake of fire. The other... The believing thief, death has become his friend. Death has become the portal to perfection, to a holy perfection. See, he lived a life of corruption, of selfishness, of hating God and hating his neighbor. But in in a moment of what should be fear, as he breathed his last breath, He wakes up in holy perfection, loving God perfectly, worshiping God in complete, acceptable worship. His soul was separated from the wickedness of life and sin. As he drew his final breath, he became closer to a perfect soul. And as he woke up in paradise, he woke up in holy perfection, in Christ-likeness. Because why? Because in that moment, so here's the thing. We've got to make sure we understand this. This is kind of, I thought a lot about this yesterday. The dying thief was really close to Jesus when they hung on the cross. 
Like they were in the same presence. They were in the same place. But when they both took their final breath and woke up in glory or in paradise, he was in a presence like nothing that was before. He understood to some degree that he was in the presence of God as he hung up on the cross. But when he woke up from death, he was in the presence of God. And when you see him, you will be like him. From holy corruption, holy W, H, full corruption, to holy perfection. And that is because of death. Through death, we find that benefit. But again, the, the, the beauty of all of it is that death became a friend to this thief because Jesus was dying. Because he gave himself as a sacrifice. Because he shed his blood for that thief. There's another thing that sort of must be understood when thinking about corruption to perfection in order to pass from one to another. In order to pass from corruption to perfection at death, one must understand two things. (laughs) Again, I'm just saying the obvious this morning. You must confess your own corruption. You cannot be you cannot pass into perfection apart from knowing the fact that you are a sinner. And that you the only hope you have is him who is perfect. You must confess your your uh, corruption and acknowledge Christ's perfection. That's the only way to go from corruption to perfection and death. He does it, right? He says in 41, And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due rewards of our death, but this man has done nothing wrong. His confession of his corruption and his confession of Jesus' perfection. Okay, so that that is the, the transition of the state of the soul upon death. Now, the place of the soul upon death. From the cursed land to the glory land. The souls of believers are at their death made perfect in holiness and do immediately pass into glory. We've already started to touch on this. Look at his request in 42. And he, the the dying thief, said to him, said to Jesus, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. He understands that his time in this world is up. And it's very likely that he's about to have both of his knees broken to speed up the process of death. He knows his time is short, but he also understands that he is in the presence of the Son of God. He's about to leave this world whom Martin Luther says in, uh, in his hymn is filled with devils. He's about to leave this world that is cursed by God where there are lepers, not leopards, but lepers. There's cancer, hurricanes, floods and tornadoes. 
this cursed world where infants die in their cribs for no apparent reason. This world that's filled with wars that split families, neighbors, friends. We live in a world where evil is good and good is evil, where pride is considered glory. Pride, which is actually a great sin of mankind. The dying thief realized he was leaving this world that murdered the Son of God. That's the world we live in. A cursed world. Now, I, I always have he- I'm always hesitant to preach on things like this because I don't want you to be longing for another world or for another kingdom or for the gifts of the of, of the king. And so don't hear me say, just wait. It's going to be so much better. It is, but that isn't what the thief was thinking. The thief hung on a cross and said, when you come into your kingdom, what was he doing? He was begging the king. He was acknowledging Jesus for who he was. Because that is what makes paradise, paradise. Notice what Jesus' response is. He says to him, Truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. No delay. No delay. No waiting. Uh, For those who are familiar with uh, Roman Catholicism, no purgatory. No, it's today, he says. Today, as you leave the world, you will be with me in paradise. Now, so the question is, okay, what's paradise? Um, for a first century Jew who heard this story and heard that Jesus told this dying thief um, that he would be with him in paradise, the imagery that would invoke in that first century Jew's mind is the Garden of Eden. That's where his attention would go. Uh, and it's not, it, it's not because that's the only thing close to it. It's because... That was the language of the Garden of Eden. Um, There's a... In Jesus' time, they had taken the Old Testament and translated it into Greek. And that was the main language of the world at that time, Greek. And the the name of it was uh, the Septuagint. And so what they had was, was an Old Testament Bible written in Greek, which our New Testament is written in Greek, right? And so the same word that was used for paradise in the Greek in our New Testament is the same word to describe Eden, garden. Garden is paradise. Paradise is garden. So you, you, you could refer to Eden as the paradise of Eden. Um, the, 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 the people of that time would build paradises or parks or gardens And so again, the imagery, the idea, was the Garden of Eden. There's a a passage in Isaiah 51, uh, verse 3. Go ahead, write that down and go look at it later. Uh, But this is the quote in the Septuagint. Well, I mean, Isaiah 51. But the word uh, paradise from the Greek is used there. Here's what it says. 
For the Lord comforts Zion, His people. He comforts all her waste places and makes her wilderness like Eden, her desert like the garden of the Lord or the paradise of the Lord. Now look what is there in the garden of the Lord. Joy and gladness will be found in her. Thanksgiving and the voice of song. Today you will be with me in comfort, joy, gladness, thanksgiving, and singing. That was where he was going. All because Jesus was also going there. From pain to paradise, from corruption to perfection, from condemnation to comfort. And it's because Christ was there. See, it's no it's not it's it's not a theological mystery of why paradise is paradise. Jesus says it in his answer, Today you will be with me. That's all he had to say. He didn't have to say in paradise. He is what makes paradise paradise. Today you will be with me. This world that we live in has many gardens, luscious and beautiful paradises we like to vacation to, warm, breezy places to escape from the harshness of this world. But no matter how beautiful, how pleasant, how quiet, how peaceful, they're missing one thing, the triune God. And that's what makes the garden of the Lord, paradise. This is the great benefit for the death of believers, fellowship with Jesus Christ. Death is the moment when hope ends. Now that sounds weird. But hope is, we're hoping for something in the future. Death is the moment hope ends. Longing for Christ is fulfilled. And faith will be no more. There's no faith in heaven because you will be with Him. You will see Him. Faith, hope, and love. And only one will remain. Love. Incorruptible, pure love. Paul says it to the Philippians as he contemplates living in service to Christ or or dying and being with the Lord. He says, I am hard pressed between the two. My desire is to, is to depart and be with Christ. Why? For that is far better. That is far better. So ask yourself this question. I want you to meditate upon this this week. Do you consider death as a doorway to benefit? Do you see death as a doorway to benefit. What would be the opposite of that? What would be to fear death? Right? To see it as harmful. But I get 
I got to thinking about that, and I guarantee you, if I went and asked every single one of you, do you fear death as a Christian, you know the Sunday school answer. You said, no, I don't fear death. You might say, I might fear dying, but I don't fear death. Because we all, the human race has lived longer than it's ever lived. We've gotten pretty experienced and understand that what? We're all going to die. And so even the heathen pagans know that they're going to die. And you know, because we've told you in your scripture, fear not. Don't fear death. And so maybe don't think about it this week as do I fear death. But think about it in a different way. I did some research this weekend about what people fear the most. And I found a list from last year by a university, a survey they did. And here are the top ten things they found that people feared in 2022, not far from where we are now. Now, hang on. Corrupt government officials. People I love becoming seriously ill. Russia using nuclear weapons. People I love dying. The U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Pollution of drinking water. Not having enough money for the future. Economic financial collapse. Pollution of oceans, waters, and lakes. And number 10, biological warfare. Now, not one, not one mention in the top 10 that I fear dying or I fear death. But I can draw death to every single one of those things. Every single one. Corrupt government officials. Have you heard of the Holocaust? People I love becoming seriously ill. Well, what happens? They die. Russia using nuclear weapons. Death. People I love dying. Death. The U.S. becoming involved in another world war. Why? Because you don't want to die. Pollution of drinking water. What happens when you drink poisonous water? You die. Not having enough money for the future. What happens if you don't have enough money? You can't eat. You can't pay for your mortgage. You freeze. You uh, starve to death. You die. Economic financial collapse. Death. Pollution of ocean waters and lakes. Death. Biological warfare. Death. And you probably ask them, do you fear death? Nah. So... The point is, is I want you to be honest with yourself, right? Regarding your true feelings about death. If you fear death, you will be an anxious person. Think about that. That is a, that lit, now, okay. Not saying that some of these things aren't a problem and we wouldn't want to try to find a solution. But if you fear death, you will find problems everywhere. And you will live in a way that you think everything has to be solved. You will be overwhelmed by every condition of this world or your house, your life, or even your, the lives of your spouse, or your children, your parents. You will be an over-anxious person. Now, why might you think you would feel that way about life and death? 
was two things I think we could tie it back to. Number one, you lack security in the death of Jesus Christ for your sake. Hebrews 2, right? That's the main reason why we read it. Jesus himself partook of flesh like you, that through his death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver all those, deliver all those who through fear of death were subject to lifelong slavery. You're free from death. And the only reason to fear it is because you don't know the freedom you have or you're still bound to it. Without a, true secu- without a true security in the work of Jesus Christ, without true hope in the gospel, you are a person who is bound and held captive by a fear of death. So you lack security in the death of Jesus Christ for your sake, or number two, you lack knowledge of the infinite glory and beauty of being in the presence of God. Let me say that again. You lack knowledge of the infinite glory and beauty of being in the presence of God because that is what the believer is going to. That's paradise. Paul says it to the Corinthians that we are Christian we Christians are to be a people who would rather be away from the body and at home with the Lord. Why? Because being in the presence of God is better than life itself. Do you believe that? That's the pressing question. Do you believe that knowing God and Jesus Christ whom He has sent is better than living life? That's eternal life. That's the benefit of Christ at death. And if your honest response is, and you wouldn't tell it to anybody, I don't really feel that way. The Bible's response to you is, because you don't know Him. Because you don't know Him. Both of those problems, the lack of security in His death, overcoming fear of death, and the lack of knowing who He is, Both of those problems can be experienced by a non-believer. Obviously, they're going to be experienced by a non-believer. But they can also be experienced by a regenerate believer. Okay? I want you guys to understand that. That just because you... Well, let me just back up. For a non-believer, it's straight across the board. You lack hope because you lack faith. You fear because you don't believe God. Right? You sit in here today and you fear death. It's because you don't believe God. You have no desire for life after death because you are unsettled about what happens after. And you're unsettled about what happened at the cross of Christ. But here's the, here's the dangerous part. It's very possible you sit here as an unbeliever with no belief in God, no faith in the cross, but you got saved one time. You got baptized one time. You even joined a church one time. But all of it was vanity. All of it was an act, no no true conviction, no conversion, no new spirit, no new heart, no faith, no repentance. 
you did what Matt, what we talked about in Matthew 8 last week. You just followed the crowds and it led you to Christianity. And if you just followed the crowds and wound up in Christianity, you aren't following Christ. And you've not been freed from death. Death is actually your enemy and has a stronghold on you. So I say to you, if you are here today, if that's you, I'm going to just tell you what Jesus said. Repent and believe the gospel for the kingdom of God is at hand. Death is knocking at your door and after death comes judgment. And if you are found without faith, if you are found not believing God, you will die once and then die twice. And that last one is, is an eternal lake of fire. Jesus, the Son of God, came by the will of the Father as the Lamb of God, the sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. He lived a perfect, righteous life that pleased God, the only man to ever do so. And He has given Himself that you might be united to Him through death and be cleansed of your sin, be unshackled from the bond of fear of death. To be brought into the family of God and, and to receive the benefits of Christ and justification, adoption, and sanctification. Now for you believer, if you find yourself uncertain about death or your fear thereof or your anxious living, not secure in the hope of the gospel, you too must turn. It's just repentance. A Christian is living a life of repentance. Repent of your sin and remember your first love. As Christians, we come to Christ in such joy because we realize the amount of we, we realize who Christ is and what He's done. But then, as we grow as Christians, we just realize more and more how much we've sinned. And sometimes that can actually send us the opposite way, repelling us from Christ. And that's why you get the age-old question: Why don't I feel like the way I used to feel? It's not because you're not any more saved or any more filled with the Spirit. It's because you have much more knowledge about your sinfulness and your need of a Savior. And so the only response is just then to continue to confess and repent of your sins. Live by faith, not by sight. Trust in the Lord, Him who kills both body and soul. And now we approach the table. We approach the table to remember the hope that we have after death, to be reminded that we have no reason to fear death. He gave his body. He gave his life. He poured out his blood so that it, not he didn't pour out his blood just for our forgiveness, but he poured out his blood to seal the new covenant, which means it's sealed. It's eternal. And therefore we have hope in the eternal sealed covenant of God in Jesus Christ. We recall his death this morning, but we also recall his resurrection. We partake together in the hope of paradise. We look forward to the garden of God. We look forward to paradise. We eat and drink without fear because we eat and drink Christ by faith. I know that's a weird thing to say, but Jesus said it. 
He said, he said, I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of this world is my flesh. And what's he just saying? He's just saying, believe me. Believe what I'm saying. Believe who sent me and who I am. And so we come to the table as believers, believing in God and believing God. When you stand up and you come to this table and you take of these elements and you eat and drink them, you are proclaiming Jesus' victory over death and his power over death. For as often as you eat and drink, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. And so let us do that by faith this morning. Let us come to Christ and partake of his body and his blood. We uh, here, we partake together in open communion, meaning the table is open for all baptized believers who have made a profession of their corruption and the perfection of Christ and have called out to him by faith as Lord and Savior. And so uh, the table is open for the body of Christ. For unbelievers, the table is closed. And we warn you not to partake if you do not believe. And while the table is closed, I always want to remind you that the cross is open. And to come to Him and trust in Him. And so with that, Brother Dan, will you come and lead us?